audio. Hello, everybody. It's Mark Houston, Director of Programming for Home Slice Audio. And Andy Young, Director of... <laughs> You want to wrap that? I don't, you want to define yeah, come that? On. I don't understand why you're laughing about this. <laughs> Sorry. I That's okay. thought you'd finish it. Uh, <laughs> we're going to be talking with probably one of your favorite college professors, Dr. Sandy Schaefer. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He, he recruited. So I remember putting in my application, I was going to go to school for graphic design and just listed on my application that I had interest in, or I was a guitar player. I'd been playing guitar for about 10 years or something at that point, just casually. And so he invited me to audition for a music scholarship and went and did that and just kind of changed the trajectory of where I was going. You got a music scholarship? Uh, yeah. Look at you. Right. Wow. I don't know. You're laughing I again. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, that, that, that was rude. The second one was just rude. I, okay. shouldn't, I yeah. shouldn't have laughed. Her fault. Exactly. That's okay. <laughs> but he was pretty instrumental in in a lot of musicians around here and, and kind of... Yeah, it's wild. I mean, a lot of the bands up here in the Black Hills, there's almost not a person that's not in one of these bands that doesn't have some connection back to that music department. I mean, there's three to four people just here at Home Slice that went through the music program up there. And then people over at the Loud American doing production. I mean, there's just, his fingerprints are kind of all over the music scene up here and he probably doesn't even know it. Well, Dr. Sandy Schaefer, uh, it's very nice to meet you and welcome to my first concert. Good. Thanks for doing this. Oh, hey, man, it's gonna be gonna be fun. Yeah. As you know, I can uh, I can fill up airtime. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> this is Mark Houston. He's kind of doing this with us. So. Hello, Hi, Dr. Schaefer. Very nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. <clears throat> so oh, you're. Go ahead, go ahead and refer to me as Sandy. I will. Thank you very much. <laughs> I do have the uh, the kids in the high school call me Dr. S. So I kind of. I still keep still keep that. <laughs> awesome. That's uh, so. You just out just outside of Portland is where you're at then. Uh, we're two hours uh, okay. outside of Portland. Okay. I'm a. It's, we, it's called the uh, Central Oregon Coast. Central Oregon. Co- How close are you to a Voodoo Donut? Because that's all I really care about in oh, in Portland. <laughs> no, man, uh, two hours. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's about two hours uh, to Eugene, also. And okay. A little more than that. Okay. But uh, so uh, no, we're we're about four streets in from the ocean in a town called Lincoln City. Beautiful. I was up by uh, Haystack a couple years ago, a couple summers ago before the pandemic and everything. Yeah. And that's oh. and that's and you're just like south of there, ways, aren't you? Thirty minutes. Really? Oh wow! God, I should have yeah. hit you up. <laughs> oh, yeah. Haystack. Well, wait a minute. It depends which one. There are a couple of haystacks. Were you probably in Pacific City um, or maybe you were north? Uh, Can- Cannon further. Beach. I think Cannon Beach. Yep. A little further north. A little so further. But, yeah, Cannon Beach. That's the. Uh, that's kind of the uppity resort. Yeah, I I got that vibe for sure. <laughs> did you get that vibe? I did. We're, uh, there, yeah, we're we're uh, we're a real town, you know. Okay. <laughs> uh, which is which is really funny. Uh, one of my friends pointed out, you know, there, you know, there he liked Lincoln City because it was a real town. Because there are other towns that are just, you know, just uh, conclaves of retired folks, you know gathered at the beach there's a little one north of us called nesco and it's a golf course you know and a, mm-hmm. a restaurant and a bar and cool cool little houses so uh here we have we have uh businesses and all of that but but the number the industries are tourism and retirement sure for sure yeah you can you can tell if they're yeah 
Well, I know, uh, I'm sure, uh, Sandy, that uh, uh, Andy kind of explained to you how this, this the point of this whole podcast, um, mm-hmm. you know, we've been talking with, with people, hopefully, we, we want to just cover every every aspect of, of music from, you know, the, the, the lead singers to, to the professors like yourself. Uh, it's just so interesting to find out where that moment for you clicked and this is where you knew you wanted it to be. So I'm, I'm really, I'd like to start kind of where, um, where uh, you and Andy met uh, in, in, in college there in Chadron, and I really want you to be honest about what kind of student he was, <laughs> Sandy, okay? Oh. <laughs> no, You man, don't have to Andy, answer that. Right. <laughs> well, you know where, where it is. You know, it's Chadron State College, okay. and, uh, and uh, that was the last 20 years of, uh, of my teaching career, and, uh, and Andy was like, number one, there's always a handful of people who could kind of play. So we put together, we had a, a performing band and we, we played maybe once or twice a month called, called the birds. Cause you needed funny names then. Well, uh, the, uh, the vocal jazz group had a funny name. And when I, when I got hired, they said, well, what are you going to call, call it? You know, what are you going to call the combo? So I thought, Oh, it's the Eagles is their mascot. So I said, Hey, the birds, Charlie Parker, of course, being, the number one bird in all our uh, right. jazz musicians' life. So yeah, so oh, Andy was great, man. He played absolutely. You played in everything, you know, because right. the people who had skills, you know, they got to do all sorts of stuff. So they got to be really abused, like free gigs all over the place. Right. right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I never envisioned like performing in a vocal jazz band before, but I went and did like the vocal jazz tour with you guys, and that, that was super right. fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah, vocal jazz. Man, I fell in love with vocal jazz back up. When I joined the Columbia Record Club, I'm on a tangent, right? One one of the one of those records, and, and that's like, because of Dobie Gillis, I think. Dobie Gillis was a TV show mm-hmm. uh, back then, uh, and they had a beatnik character named Maynard G. Krebs, who uh, was loved jazz. Uh, and so they regularly dropped words like Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie and Thelonious Monk and all of those things. So when I got in the Columbia Record Club, bingo, I got those things, man. Got Charlie Mingus. <laughs> and, and one was the Playboy Jazz Bowl winners that had a Lambert Henderson Ross doing Cloudburst. And I just fell in love with the vocal jazz after that. So how cool. Shabron actually has, you know, really, really great uh, vocal jazz uh, thing going on, at least for, you know, any schools in the high plains well and it was really cool like the vocal jazz thing too it's like they they had like contemporary uh arrangers and like people composing for that genre too as opposed to like there wasn't as many like big band new arrangers necessarily but there was constantly it just seemed like there was more contemporary arrangements going on for that genre jazz oh oh yeah especially well that's a, a whole music business discussion. Uh, this is a ranger named Kerry Marsh does did amazing. Yeah, charts. I think we met him at the at the thing down in Greeley, actually. Oh right, right, yeah. absolutely. So, but but because it's a little niche market, he's been doing all these arrangements and just selling them. You know, people buying from him, but he not he not he not have copyright authorization. Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> license. So, but because they're so popular and famous, Hal Leonard, I think, went to him. Either that or Alfred, one of those guys went to him, you know, and made him a deal to, to get him right with the music business world. So, <laughs> so, yeah, those those things are great, man. And and uh, every year there was some personality to come to those uh, those vocal jazz things. And I actually played in I played in the girls glee club when I was in college, which was kind of like a vocal jazz thing. And uh, 
And like the arranger who was arranging back then, was, and that was the 60s, right? It, and his name escapes me. It's 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 totally gone. Uh, but he, he was like the new guy. And all his arrangements were, were like absolutely uh, so hip for 1967, you know, and 68. <laughs> so that guy was still around. And he had a, a four-man vocal group, a bunch of college professors t- uh, uh, together, and one voice actor from Hollywood who does, you know, he does all the cartoon voices, you know, oh, yeah. Simpson. He's Simpson's uh, singing voice. So uh, watch those guys on stage performing, man. And and one of them had a horrible cold. And I just remember them switching. They switched parts around on the spot. And like when you when you when you're just singing vocal jazz, you're singing really tight chords. Yeah, you know. And, and, and jazz chords always have a a minor second or or a major second in there. And it, it causes that rub, makes, uh, you know, on the vibraphone, it makes everything shimmer. And uh, and you bury that in the voicing. So to be a vocal jazz singer, man, is like really hard. For sure. Yeah, <laughs> you have to have perfect pitch, like 100%. Oh, sure. It's to be able to sing those dissonant of chords would be crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's yeah. They ha- they have my they have my undying respect. So that's <laughs> that's why I played a lot. I just loved hearing those cool harmonies. Absolutely. Man. Well, Sandy, it's so, amazing. No, no, no. That's that's great. It's amazing to look at. I mean, how you from where you came from, you ended up in in Shadron. Because talking with before with Andy a little bit about this, I never would have. I never would have guessed that somebody that because uh, you've been to the uh, University of Wisconsin in Oshkosh, California State University at Fresno. Uh, you were faculty associate at Arizona State University, Glendale Community College. And then you ended up yeah. in Shadron for the last, you said, 20 years of your career. What brought you to Nebraska of all places? Oh, jobs, man. You go where the gigs are. OK, right. so in a, that's the in most rock field. and roll thing I've heard. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it, uh, yeah. How did I get there? Uh, bad tenure decisions. You know, I lost a tenure decision. I, I went, which is, uh, so that was University of Wisconsin, uh, which is, was kind of convoluted. I went there first for, uh, uh, without a doctorate. And, uh, and it, the job was five years with no possibility of renewal. It's like one of those jobs. Oh, yeah. So, uh, that that job. Uh, so you take those take those jobs. So I went to Comedy Place, right? Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Froze froze my tuchis <laughs> off, as you say in the business. And uh, man, it was so uh, five years. I was gone like all the other percussion teachers, right? So I went off and uh, I played in Atlantic City. I had a student from Fresno who was like a big star at, at Harris in Atlantic City. And that's a whole nother story. So I, he uh, he gave me a gig. I went and played with him, and uh, and he was surrounded by adulated fans and white white tails, white piano, and he did wow. big Liberace kind of things. People people loved him. They hated the hip music right after us. So uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so and uh, after that, I, you know, I didn't get any college gigs. I went and got a doctorate. So that's what brought me to Arizona. You know, and in in Arizona. Uh, once they found out I could teach big classes, I, you know, I teach jazz rock because I started out teaching uh, jazz rock in 1977. You know, it's kind of jazz, jazz history, rock history class. So at, at ASU, man, those classes were like 500 strong. There were 500. So I had two classes of 500 people each and I had my t- own teaching assistant. That's about like my- our that's about like our theory one class in Shadron, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 yeah about, about 500 or so. <laughs> yeah. 
so uh, yeah, it was a, that was a, an interesting time. But that's that's where that's where I learned that you know operating a school is just like operating a bar. You know, you you have to have people coming in buying drinks or paying admission. You know, you have to have people enrolling in classes. So it turns out it it take it took about seventeen people to create one FTE, which means like. 17 people, the course pays for itself, right? So string quartets, they lose money. You know, percussion ensembles, they lose money. All, you know, all small groups lose money. But then they have these big classes, general studies classes that do 500, you know. Imagine 500 students pays for a lot of string quartets. For you sure. Know, and, <laughs> and stuff like that. So at, at Shadron, I, uh, you know, the, at Shadron, they had a the regular music history class in general studies, and uh, so you don't want to compete for those dollars, you know, with your own department. So, but there's they, the newest thing, you know, was uh, the global studies and the whole idea of, you know, so that was, uh, as soon as you looked at global studies or ethnic studies or anything, bingo, we get the beginnings of rock and roll and, and jazz, you know, we get, we get to talk about African musical characteristics, you know, so I called the class uh, African-American popular music history. It was a, uh, 1619 to 1970, I think. <laughs> yeah, wow. But the, see, the 16th, the first, the first African got here in 1619. That's a year before the Pilgrims. Right. You know? So <laughs> the, our music's have been uh, malleable ever since. I, I'm making one of these signs, malleable. You're like, uh, <laughs> they've, it's like missing DNA. You know, Europe, Europe developed harmony, you know, and to do that, Europe had to change you know, Europe had to change God's harmonic system to create the piano so we could play in all these different keys, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's that's why we don't tune to just in, intonation anymore, because, you know, when you when you started going to weird keys, the intonation got really, really funky uh, fast. So uh, we created this, the piano, you know, so we Europeans created that. But, you know, Africans developed different kinds of things like imp- improvisation and the use of drums you know, and uh, xylophones and things like that. So, uh, you know, European needed some some energy and some syncopation mostly, <laughs> you know. But, uh, but, you know, Europeans cut music away from the dance, right? right. So, like, we looked down on dance music from the, the academy, the lofty academy. Uh, dance music is looked at as something uh, inferior. So... So what what you know what what Af- what the fusion of Europe and, and uh, Africa here in America that just kind of re- reconnected music with with the dance. So anyhow, so that way I could teach uh, you know uh, those kinds of classes at Chatterton without competing. So we called it African American popular music. Well, like and that was like a general studies class, wasn't it? Oh right. Yeah, right. like all, like I I told all my buddies like in in college that weren't music majors, I was like, you just take this class, like you won't. You're good. It's awesome. So, so, so obviously, no, obviously, Sandy, I can, I mean, I can hear the, the passion that you have for this when you talk about it. Um, <laughs> you know, you were, you were, uh, you grew up around Chicago. Is that where you're originally from? Uh, no, I'm a Jersey boy. A Jersey. I, okay. I grew up around Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. And my aunt reminds me of, uh, when, uh, in the bassinet, when, uh, she played me, uh, the music from this Broadway show, Song of Norway, mm-hmm. that had a thing called Freddie and his fiddle, and my eyes danced <laughs> in the crib, right? And and my grandmother said, 
turn that off. You'll hurt his eyes. <laughs> I, I thought, yeah, I want to have that in the shirt, man. Turn that music off. You'll hurt his eyes. <laughs> That's so, awesome. So when you when you were when you were you know when you started to grow up, and obviously you had musical influence around you all the time. And actually, no, my parents. I had no music. Really, boy, you Until, the impression there that 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 just doesn't seem like you didn't grow up with it. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, unlike. Uh, my wife grew up in a family where both her parents were music majors, you know? So, but what that gave her was parental pressure to do this. Sure. And for me to go be a music major was like, was uh, my father did not want me to be a a music major, but uh, my aunt was a professional musician and uh, she, uh, she played marimba. And uh, in fact, I just got a, a picture. I was in contact with, with her daughter, uh, picture of her playing two marimbas at once and she's got this big taffeta gown on and 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 the the top has like a musical notes all over it and stuff i thought wow man it's like hank williams <laughs> so, but she was in hartford so uh we visited her and uh we visited her she threw a little marimba in the car so we went we had moved to illinois by then you know so i'm, I'm from jersey moved to illinois so i started out playing you know marimba i didn't play drums first uh i wasn't part of the early music education system. So I kind of I would, I had a private teacher. I talked my way into my high school band, you know, because I, I could read mallet parts, you know, and that took the load off all the other drummers. And I gradually, you know, learned, uh, learned how to play drums. I got my drum set uh, the day the Beatles were on the Ed Sullivan show. And That's uh, awesome. oh, I, I started past my aunt. I, I just have to throw this, this, uh, this my my uh, rant and about being a musician, right? So, uh, I started a I uh, this the sophomore year summer my 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 freshman year summer. So like I'm just a, a little kid. They ship me off to Hartford to study with my aunt. So uh, my what my aunt does is teach me you know pl- play marimba and stuff and and all uh, lots of technical things. But she took me on gigs. You know, and she gave me uh, gave me a fake book, you know, and it's the old number one fake book. I got to show you this. I guess I don't got to show you this. <laughs> I've got one sitting in my garage as well. Probably. It's it's, it's got. Uh, do you? It's got like three songs on a page. Oh, oh right? yeah. No, yeah. I don't got one of the like that. <laughs> Mine's a little bigger. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was uh, years, years ago, man. So she played vibes. She was eight months pregnant. Just playing vibes, and there was a accordion player, a, a cordovox, you know, electric accordion, mm-hmm. doing organ-like sounds, and a bass player and a drummer, and so, and then she brought her other marimba along with me, had her name and rhinestones on the front, Florence Schaefer, and she she said, "Here, well, when it's your turn to solo, uh, play the melody. When you get to a long note, run the chord. Okay, go." So, so I was on stage, you know, that summer, playing playing weddings, playing at mental institutions. She just took me on gigs. <laughs> and it was like, it was amazing. But what that did is, you know, all of a sudden I'm a performer and I'm in high school and I, I'm, I'm different than all the other high school kids because they're audience and, and I'm on stage. <laughs> uh, so that, that, you know, I didn't realize it then. And then, uh, then, then I came back. You know, then we're in the market for a drum set. The Beatles are on Ed Sullivan's show. The day I buy my this drum set, uh, and uh, 
And yeah, I start playing in, in rock bands and I become, you know, local rock star. Uh, in, in, in the North Shore of Chicago, they had teenage nightclubs. Oh, okay. You know, so you rented some, you know, a couple of wise guys rent a union hall <laughs> and uh, pay, pay a band and uh, charge kids at the door and sell them coats. You know, so each town on the North Shore had one of these things on the weekend. So I was playing for the same money when I was in high school that, you know, I'm playing for now. (laughs) (laughs) So, so you, you, you were as a teenager, you're getting the feel on stage that, that, that kind of rock star feel that was probably, uh, you know, all around you then it had to be exciting. It had to be, uh, exhilarating. So being a rock star or being a professor, how, how, how did it, how did it go from that to what you ended up being? Oh, <laughs> well, you uh, you love too many different kinds of music, you know. So you want to put yourself in a situation where you uh, where you uh, aren't typecast, because in the uh, in all of the arts, you know, people get typecast, basically. Uh, you know, as a rock performer, I mean, it's what the, made the Beatles different, right? As at you know, like rock bands then. Your second album, holy shit, you just tried to do more of the same, only it wasn't as good. You didn't want to lose your audience by educating them, you know. And the Beatles just kind of educated the audience. Just Miles Davis did the same thing. People waited for, you know, for the new things to come out, man. All that. So, so you know, all of those things uh, that all these bands play, I, I played while they were on the charts, <laughs> you know. Uh, and we didn't call them cover bands because people, people sure. didn't do originals. That was that originals uh, didn't come along to singer songwriters, you know, and right. be somebody in their guitar and, and, and uh, mm-hmm. coffee houses and people started, you know, writing their own material. Well, that's a fascinating answer to not to, to go into the education field of music because of, mm-hmm. of wanting to 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 study it all, to to try to be a part of it all. I, I, oh. I, lo- I love that answer. Yeah, when, when I was in well, when I was in college, I thought you know I could I thought a studio musician would be good because you come in every day and play different stuff. You know, I, I knew about that job, uh, and, and it was funny. It was it's the '60s? I probably could have done that, uh, but uh, uh, after I got out of college, it was the war, right? Right. So the Vietnam War. So I'm a, a Vietnam War era veteran. I was the first year of the lottery. Right. Oh, wow. So uh, in a lottery, you know, you're getting drafted. Right. So I, I'm a senior. I'm getting out of school instantly going to have to get drafted. So, uh, you know, my percussion teacher met a guy at Frank's drum shop uh, who uh, told him all about the NORAD band. And it, it doesn't exist anymore. <clears throat> so there are openings in the NORAD band. And it was uh, it was based in Colorado Springs. NORAD is that. The, you know, they track mm-hmm. Santa Claus every yep. year. Uh, they track yeah. Santa, the big thing in the mountain. Yes. And they have the they have radar sights saw all mm-hmm. along the northern part. So so uh, a, a guy in 1959 dreamed up, let's have a really professional show busy band. And uh, so he created this NORAD band. It was Army, Navy, Air Force and the Canadian Forces. Right. Oh. So there are all these people there. And and it turned out, uh, you know, I we auditioned uh we auditioned the day of the kent state massacre actually wow we, we were talk about time that you know we were we were driving across the country to audition at the norad band when we heard heard about you know you know the the, port, the reports coming in that you know 
the students mm-hmm. had killed a bunch of National Guard people. And then gradually it, it changed during the course of our drive to, well, yeah, we killed those students, but they threw rocks at us. Right. So, you know, so, uh, it, so we kind of lived under shadow. Uh, his, he had a high draft number. I was number 60. So he ended up going to University of North Texas, which is a hotshot jazz school. And, uh, and I went into the NORAD band uh, and there was Af- Air Force slot. So I was in there for four years. But after the war, they threw me out early. So it was like three years, seven months and sure. one day. <laughs> you know, but it was it was like being in college band. Uh, everybody had degrees, you know, the officers were the conductors. They you know, we had the same degrees as they had. So there's this mutual respect. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not an officer enlisted man relationship it's conductor you know conductor musician and we played uh we traveled 10 days to two weeks every month and and every month we do a different norad region you know it was yeah it was like in the winter we like go to san diego and phoenix and albuquerque and florida right that's that's, uh, that's in, smart in the summer <laughs> yeah we go we go up to uh canada we do canada in the summer it was it was uh yeah that's wild because that's of awesome. the war i was busy hating it Sure. You know, yeah. so and now nowadays I, I I tout it. It's the only place where you can play like if you're if you're a musician, you can where you can play stuff like you played in college. You're playing band. You have a jazz band. You have a rock band. You know, you have to march uh, the, the exact same stuff that you did in college. You can do that in, in the military. Plus, <laughs> plus you have medical benefits and retirement. Oh, and the gig never falls through. Right. And the, club, the, the club manager never says, hey, guys, I'm not paying you. There's, there's not any backwards promoters or anything right. like that. Yeah. So, I, so like, what part of that didn't I like? Mm-hmm. You know, right. plus, you get, to wear, you get to wear blue. You know? <laughs> it's your color. Well, man, you yeah, said yeah. something earlier that, like, I wish somebody had told me 20 years ago when you're talking about your aunt uh, telling you to take a solo when she says, oh. just play the melody, and then when you get to a long note, just outline the chord. I wish somebody would have told me that like 25 years ago. Like It would have made oh, improvising oh, so, so much easier. <laughs> well, you know, guitar players, it, it, did you only play guitar? I play guitar. I played upright and string bass and the symphony and stuff like that, but I was primarily, okay, so the, I, I was a piano player before I started uh, playing guitar. Okay. So so then you, you make that translate. I'm making... Guitar-like shapes, right? Yeah, you, you, <laughs> yeah. You, you knew what you were doing. Kind of. Well, I mean, even when I started, well, I was like, a, "Those note, you, you put yeah. your hands on those notes, and you, you know, one of notes. them, one of them's going to be right." Yeah. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> it's it's. Uh, I mean, it's the piano players. You know, they all have a big advantage because everything's laid out in a linear fashion. Sure. You know, and we get to see the two black notes and the three black notes, you know, yep. and that's how we divide our octaves in guitar because of the way guitar is. You can learn reading tabs, you know, mm-hmm. and most guitar players learn that way. So you relate to music that way. And then and then you relate to music with pentatonic scales a lot. Right. Mm-hmm. Every, everything's kind of pentatonic scales. And uh, for uh, we're talking about this with other old jazz musicians, what you don't have is the third and seventh usually in the, you know, in that right. same, same string of notes and those third and sevenths, that's how harmonies move 
together. I call it gasoline. You know, you have that tritone, you know, and I remember and you describing them as like the gender. Yeah. Gu- guitar players play like just power chords and they don't add any thirds. And oh, you're, you're like, <laughs> yeah, you're like, you're like, this is a male chord and a female chord. But if you just do the one, one, five and an octave, it's just like a genderless chord. You don't really know what it is that you're, you know, what it's relating back to. It's well, you know, with all with all the distortion, it creates a really dense, right. you know, electronic uh, musical s- spectrum. Yeah. This line up. The interesting thing is, you know, fifths are supposed to be perfect. You know, I mentioned about changing God's tuning system. Right. Piano tuners do not tune perfect fifths. <clears throat> no. You know, old guys, old before <laughs> before computers, right? Old guys tuned it so there were a beat and a half per second on the fifths. Right. So, so little, yeah. you start out. There are no perfect fifths, you know, on, on piano. <laughs> right. So All right, Sandy, I've got here's this leads to a question I've always wanted to ask somebody that's got a lot of knowledge. Okay. And you sound like <laughs> and, a, and you and you sound like or you do. Fill up airspace. Well, I work you know, I work in a business with a lot of guys. Uh, we, we have a lot of we have a lot of ego, but I don't know if we have a lot of knowledge a lot of times. Mm. Um, can you take someone who can't sing, who has no rhythm? who's not musically inclined in almost any sense, but has a desire. Can you teach that to someone? Oh, yeah, you can, you can teach that to people, but music is one of those things uh, where it takes the hours in the practice room. So we have taken we have taken students who had like rhythmic challenges and things and and beaten them savagely around right <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, know uh, uh, you know with education and and you know you can improve those things so it's it's hard to know if somebody doesn't you know doesn't have the uh, it's it's hard to know at what point you cannot have the ability and and I've had some handicapped students and, and you you uh and i hate to use that word ably you know sure uh but it's it's possible for people who don't have control of their hands you know to make music now because things are compiled you know so uh, uh, recordings are compiled and and so however that makes it impossible for somebody who usually doesn't play an instrument to go to college and be a music major. So usually people have some background. Mm-hmm. And and if if you you know if you accept guitar players, they didn't used to accept guitar players. You know? And they still you, don't uh, really before college. There's really not it's still not a very common thing for, you know, high schools or anything like that to have any oh, kind yeah. of formal guitar teaching. And and what I was kind of saying before is like my piano uh education was all Suzuki. So that was all all through um uh, just yeah. like Suzuki, Suzuki ear training lessons. So I wow. still never, I still went to college barely being able to, to read, you know, and had to, yeah. I had to force my way through that. Yeah. Well, that's that's well, interesting. Yeah. That's very interesting to, to, to know. I mean, cause it always feels like music, uh, for people that, that, that get into it and make it their life, that it's, there's something internally. There's already something internally for, for, for the, the vast oh. majority of these people. Oh, why, why would you, why would you accept so little money? 
for so much training. <laughs> there you go. Uh, well, all right, you know, um, uh, Sandy. Kind of to the to the point of this whole podcast that we do. Can yeah. can you? And I know you, you you've kind of hit on it just a little bit. But do you have? Can you think back to that one moment, or that one song, or that one concert you saw that you thought you know what? The, yes. It, it, and it sounds to me like the answer is almost going to be your aunt. Oh, yeah. Pro- yeah, I, probably that. And and then being, a, you know, playing in this group called the London Assembly. I have a photograph. Uh, yeah, in the 60s, you had to acknowledge the British invasion. So uh, my rock star group was the London Assembly. And having a I started saving broken drumsticks. Because girls ask for broken drumsticks. I know, yeah, that's a thing. Does it always come down to the girls, Sandy? It seems like it does in music. Uh, 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 yeah, he he stuttered out. Yeah, that's that's certainly an attractive a part of it. Uh, but you know, uh, the, the drummer back then had more to pack up, so you, mm, you never right. really got the girls. It was, right. it was always the, the lead singer. But now, as as electronics, you know, as they invented PA systems, for God's sakes, I mean, I was doing this before the sure vocal master. You oh. know, <laughs> yeah. that was like the first PA system that was like anything uh yeah there those pictures of the beatles playing in atlanta it's like yeah and they're gonna hear that right and they're using like the pas like the 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 stadium's pa like (laughs) the in-house pa not like a front it's crazy right oh yeah and that's why they became uh, a studio band because they're like what what's the point like nobody can even hear it we can't hear ourselves yeah oh oh over the streaming yeah And, and those early it's so funny to watch the the ed sullivan things because they've been They've been really filtered beautifully. Maybe they've put in some other tracks, but when you, as as a viewer at home, it really was wall to wall screaming. Wow, you know, crazy. It, it really was wall to wall screaming. Crazy stuff. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, Sandy, so, it's it's been it's been uh, this has been a great conversation. I'm I'm I, I've learned stuff, and I've never taken a music class oh. <laughs> ever. <laughs> you know, uh, but it's uh, I like I said, it can obviously hear that this is something that you you loved, and I know you're retired right now. Have you, have you ever do, do you do you have any desire to ever to continue to teach, or do you still kind of teach in your own way oh. a little bit? Oh, oh yeah. No, I'm, uh, first of all, uh, I'm, uh, I've got a, I have run a jam session, mm-hmm. jazz jam session. Uh, some guys moved from Denver, some oh, jazz cool. musicians moved from Denver, some 30 something kids, you know, they're in their thirties, tired of fighting the battle. They moved here to open up a brewery. Wow. So they, they have a, they have had a great, great players, man. She's a great singer. So they opened this brewery. And uh, so we, we, uh, you know, we've been, we've been friends. So we started, uh, you know, they wanted to want to have music. They paid ASCAP and BMI right mm-hmm. away. Sure. And, and, uh, and had, had music. Uh, so we do first and third Sunday jam sessions. Uh, and then, uh, the other days we're rounding out with, uh, a jazz vocalist. So I've been, uh, I've been pretty much playing every Sunday, you That's know, awesome. uh, and it's great. It's right on Select Bay, so you know we're we're on the you know on the West Coast, and uh, this is uh, this brewery is in part of a uh, an old resort called Salishan, and it's had a little marketplace. So they've got a nice patio deck, and they put up uh, they have high winds there. That's so got now the third tent's really big and sturdy. So uh, <laughs> when it gets uh, in the winter time, we moved indoors, but all th- throughout the summer we're playing we're playing out there, and uh, and I work with a uh, uh, an. An, uh, an organization 
called uh, Music is Instrumental. It was started by uh, uh, an administrator who retired here who knows how important music is. So they uh, they uh, filled out grants, got big grant to return music to the high school. Music The high school was able to Excellent. add faculty positions and buy like $370,000 worth of instruments. Wonderful. So, uh, wow. so before COVID, I, I was go- going in there and I'm still going in. We're having a spike here right now. Right. So I'm sitting out for a, a, another week or two but yeah i, I go in and work with uh, i've been working with the uh eighth and ninth grade bands you know and uh so so yeah so i'm still uh you know doing some learning material for those cats and getting that's ready awesome. to start a marimba band with them that's awesome so many, you, you never really retire there. as a musician oh no 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 you see i found my career is you find a way to finance you know, you're, uh, you're, you're playing of music. So uh, it was, <laughs> it's nice. The school system, you know, thinks music's important. Good. So, you know, I had the, the tax players, uh, you know, pay me to, to teach music and, and it enabled me to spread stuff around. And, uh, and especially like it's Shadron, uh, with those bands going and playing in bars. So it's, we, we got people up on stage and learning, learning how to play a gig. Yep. Exactly. Learning how to, awesome. Uh, learning how, yeah. You know, learning how it's your turn to solo and, and you know, people learn what they're doing. Well, so Sandy, we this is this is this is uh, thank you so much for taking this time. It was very oh, nice to meet you. And Andy obviously speaks very highly of you. So, well, thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course, <laughs> this was a, this was a very fun conversation. And thanks for taking the time. It's my pleasure. Yeah, well, See we'll you again uh, soon. yeah, we'll we'll do it again. If I'm ever up in that uh, that area again, I'll have to come crash a jam yeah. sesh. Absolutely, baby. You have, you know, we have a place to stay. We All right. Have, uh, appreciate Take care, it. guys. Absolutely. Thank you very Thanks, much. Andy. Appreciate it. Good to see you. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of My First Concert. I am Mark Houston. I am the host and producer of the show. It's engineered by Chris Jaquez, and all the audio and visual work is done by our own Russ Haddon. My First Concert is on the Home Slice Audio Network, and if you like what you heard, a great review is always appreciated.